Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. Heck, even some women's college uh, volleyball fans around the country and around the world. I can mess that up. Uh, awesome. But you know where I'm going with that. Austin Ward, my able-bodied co- co-pilot, joining me once again in the cockpit of this magnificent Tim May podcast. Welcome again, Austin. My pleasure to be here. I called you by your call sign there earlier, but I don't want to make anybody mad. You know I am, man. I like to step on eggshells and not crack them. What do you yeah. think about that? <laughs> Works for me. Kind of like in that, uh, kind of like in that uh, press conference the other day with Ryan Day when everybody's kind of keep you know kept asking the same question. Hey. How are you going to fix this physical situation you got yourself into at the end of the year, et cetera? I think Ohio State playing Utah in the Rose Bowl does present quite the uh, the challenge, right, to see if uh, they can step back in there and throw haymakers uh, with another team that prides itself on being physical. Yeah, it definitely does. We talked about that on Sunday. Just It's a little bit uh, take some pieces from Michigan, take some pieces from Oregon, take some pieces from the Minnesota game, and then see – uh, what you spit out in the Rose Bowl, I think, you know, the, there will be a lot of people that want to make judgments on that. If, if Ohio State got it fixed, if they can get it fixed, I mean, also depends on if everybody even plays, how much, you know, they care about proving that point against Utah. And yeah, you know, they, they may say we don't, and it's development, or maybe a bunch of players who opt out and who, you know, don't want to participate in it. Like, I, I would, I would caution that, I think the matchup is great. It's been very cool to see these teams at full strength and with something on the line. But, you know, that's unfortunately kind of the way that stuff like the Rose Bowl and non-playoff stuff works anymore. And I think that that's probably why this expansion train is not slowing down when you can't even, like, say Ohio State 10-win season, Rose Bowl, play a Pac-12 champion. It's like, eh, well, then you probably created a problem for yourself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's uh... – I don't know. I don't think that is. I talked to Rick's current about that, by the way. Uh, my my guest this week, along with you, I've got uh, Bill Bender from the Sporting News, my irregular uh, guest on this show. Comes on enough to almost call him regular if you follow my drift. But we talk about the national scene, about Ohio State and its challenge of playing Utah, and about you know the, did the did the committee get the Final Four right? Well, I mean they didn't really have to do much after Oklahoma State got beat, you know, <laughs> and everybody else won the the. The decisions were pretty much out of their hands. Uh, but then I've got uh, Rex Kern talking about his book, The the Road to the Horseshoe and Beyond. And we get into some some stories, some Woody Hayes stories, but also where this fabled, uh, I guess, fable, you're not fabled if you did it right, this legendary, I guess it's not legendary if you did it right, this factual, uh, basically Ohio State legend, Rex Kern, talks about the current state of college football, where it's headed and whether he's worried about it, you know, but what you just mentioned there with the Rose Bowl, for more of another term, becoming almost a consolation prize. Are you kidding me? You know, uh, but it is what it is. This modern era. We touch, of course, on the Quinn Ewers uh, exit. You know, Quinn, we hardly knew you. And uh, and then I have uh, Jen Flynn Oldenburg, the the coach of the Ohio State women's volleyball team, which has moved to the regional semifinals this week at Louisville after sweeping two games 
in Columbus over the weekend in front of a jam-packed crowd at the Cavelli Center. I mean, boy, interest is really high uh, on, on the women's volleyball team at the moment. And, of course, Ohio State plays host to the women's Final Four in two weeks at Nationwide Arena. And, uh, and uh, Jen Flynn Oldenburg is hoping to steer her, her players to not only – be in attendance, but to be active participants in the women's final four. It's uh, kind of an exciting time for women's volleyball. Without a doubt. And, uh, but let's get back to my original uh, premise of having my co-pilot on. He seems to have, uh, seemed to have like fallen asleep there. And and I don't blame him. I mean, I I mean, I haven't watched. uh, I know. man. I love uh, by, I mean, when I was in college and, uh, you know, it was one of my first beats was women, women's volleyball. It's a, an exciting sport, and I really loved it. And I enjoyed, you know, getting to know, you know, the coaches there, and they would, you know, explain the stuff that I'd I'd never yeah. played, you know, and and they were really helpful and always they appreciated the the coverage and the attention. It was great to be part of. It it, it is an exciting sport to watch. I I wouldn't dispute any of what you said. I just haven't really been following those Lady Buckeyes on their run. So, uh, you know, I was going to defer to the actual pilot here. There you go, man. Well, let's steer this thing through the uh, thunderstorm here. Uh, dude, real quick before we move on to my guests, you know, I haven't get, I had to, you know, I haven't had the opportunity of having you on. My pie only come up once a week now, but uh, I'm telling you, the Quinn Ewers thing is just, I don't know. I think things sometimes work out for the best. You and I were talking about this thing in August. You remember the podcast I did about, boy, take a snapshot of this quarterback room, are you ever going to see one like this again? And it didn't even last four months, you know. Uh, Jack Miller is, hit the transfer portal a week ago, and then Quinn Ewers followed him into the portal. But, uh, I mean, it was a moment in time that couldn't last, right? Yeah, and that's, you know, sort of the way it works. If you're going to pursue the nation's best quarterbacks and Ryan Day's not showing any inclination to stop his approach to – find the best players and let them compete. And then if you have to reload, well, another one was waiting on Wednesday too. You, you had one in the portal on Sunday, one in the portal on Friday and a commitment from another, you know, pretty coveted guy, four-star Devin Brown on Wednesday, right in the middle. Like, yeah, Ohio state is always going to, as long as Ryan day is around, as long as he's working with quarterbacks, um, I, it's hard to foresee him going into a season without enough to get through it. Now, some of the names may change more quickly, than anybody would think or want or is used to. But, you know, he doesn't seem uh, that that concerned with the high wire act. And he, he has confidence uh, in his ability to evaluate and develop when he gets those guys in and that um, combine that with the brand recognition and the chance to get to the next level and compete for a Heisman Trophy, all those other things. Like Ohio State has so much to offer. And most quarterbacks in the country know that and they want to be part of it even for a short time. I mean, Jack Miller gave two years. They weren't the two years that he expected, but he's not going to be hurting from having learned from Ryan Day and Corey Dennis and having worked with Mickey Marotti uh, wherever he goes. That that should only help him down the road. And yeah, just that's kind of the way it works now with quarterbacks. Hey, we finished our rapid reaction the other day after the uh, Ryan Day press conference on Sunday and Kyle McCord was sitting over there uh, after we were done on a bench week, I think to do a little workout, but I walked up to him and shook his hand, reintroduced myself again. Cause you know, you hardly ever get to see these guys. And I said, by the way, I said, 
those who stay will be champions. <laughs> Took a page out of a, another, another head coach's book from a long time ago. And it was reiterated, but uh, the way it went down, I mean, there's no doubt Michigan was the best team in the big 10 at the end of the year. Am I right about that? That is yes, that is correct. Yeah. Number two, are you excited in some respects to watch Cincinnati play Alabama and Michigan play Georgia? Uh, he wouldn't like hearing this, but I'm a little bit fearful, fearful for Cincinnati because Alabama has seems to have found uh, its footing as the season's gone. I mean, we're two weeks removed from a game that they should have lost against Auburn, but yeah, just, you know, the personnel when they go match up. And I know that, that Luke has upgraded the talent there and has recruited well, and that Brady Collins is, is maximizing that Clifton strong weight program for them down there. And yep. I like all those guys and it's a phenomenal story and they've accomplished a lot, but it's, it's hard for me to sit here and, and think that one through 85 uh, that Cincinnati goes in there and is able to withstand that onslaught from, from Alabama. So, I, I mean, I, I would love to see a Cinderella run for those people. Uh, you know, I will be supporting as much as I can. I would love to see that happen, a win. I mean, go make it happen. It couldn't happen to better people. It's just, you know, you, I, I don't want to be one of these, you know, negative people about the group of five teams, but their rosters are not built the same. And I know Luke was only just getting rolling a little bit when they played Ohio State a few years ago, but it was 42 to nothing and it could have been worse. You know, I, I'm not suggesting that uh, they haven't made progress to play a tighter game against a team of that caliber, but boy, uh, what Alabama is doing, what they did to Georgia – that was quite the warning shot. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, what Cincinnati did at Notre Dame in its one real showcase game this year, you know, they dominated that game, especially in the second half. And uh, yeah. I don't think they're out of their league, but, you know, a league is made up of, you know, a, a few teams. You know what I mean? You still not, may, may not be the Yankees yet. You know what I mean? That's that's from my old days growing up when the Yankees ruled supreme. Uh, uh, awesome. You don't remember those days, do you? Uh, hey. The Yankees have always had a lot of decades of dominance, so you can just pick one. There you go. But, hey, you know what? I'm, <clears throat> I want to put the national scene in perspective and kind of like, you know, and just get Bill Bender's view on Ohio State and, you know, the, the Rose Bowl and et cetera. <clears throat> My first guest, Bill Bender from the Sporting News, you know, locally, uh, lives here locally, but he keeps a, an eye on the national scene like few others do and uh, get his perspective. And we'll come back with my conversation with Rex Kern and then my my conversation with Jen Flynn Oldenburg. Try saying that three times in a row, man. I always get the Flynn and the Jen and everything mixed up, but she's done a hell of a job with the Ohio State women's volleyball team. But first, let's get to my conversation with Bill Bender. Bill Bender, welcome back to the Tim May Podcast. I had to get your uh, reactions, man, to what did and basically didn't happen over the weekend in the college football playoff. Uh, by the way, welcome back. Hey, hey, Tim, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Hey, I love having my irregular regular guest on. Uh, it was a weekend of chaos. Only the only game that mattered that I think really played significance in the Final Four was Baylor beating Oklahoma State, which basically paved the way for Cincinnati uh, to get into that Final Four as expected. Uh, no matter what what else went on during the weekend, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, obviously, and the most dramatic finish, arguably, of the year. I mean, to have uh, Oklahoma State not be able to put the ball in the end zone open up the door for a Big 12 champion to get in. A lot of turnovers they could not overcome. And 
know, good for Baylor and Dave Aranda. But, I mean, after that, I mean, once Alabama beat Georgia, it, the play there was no drama Sunday. There was nobody like maybe this team gets in, and that's what the Oklahoma State did. lost did. It eliminated yeah. all the drama. Yeah, I think the words you were looking there for was it went chalk. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Uh, do you like this Final Four? Uh, do you like Alabama number one? Do, do you like Michigan number two? Uh, would you have flip-flopped those? I mean, uh, just what's your uh, take on that? Obviously, Georgia three and the University of Cincinnati, the first uh, non-power five team, group of five team to make the to make the uh, the the college football playoff uh, playoff. That's redundant. But do you like the way the thing finally uh, settled out? No, I mean, I think this is a year where we don't necessarily need an 18 playoff because the four teams that earn their way in are in. Um, Cincinnati beat Notre Dame. Michigan beat Ohio State. Uh, Alabama beat Georgia. Now they let them both in. But, I mean, Georgia had been the best team the entire regular season. I mean, there was a case to be made for Michigan at one. But I think when you look at Alabama's resume compared to those, it's pretty similar and their losses are pretty similar and their biggest win, Alabama's is a little bit bigger by beating Georgia. So one, two, three, four, good storylines, good uh, good playoff, a little bit of fresh blood in there. It should be fun. Yeah, one thing I would argue was I thought Michigan had the better last three games of the season than Alabama did. I mean, Alabama struggled to beat a mediocre Auburn team. <laughs> Literally, Auburn blew it, you know, more than anything else. And uh, that would have really upset the apple cart. And then they stepped back and they they do to Georgia. They scored, I think, is almost as many points on Georgia has been scored on Georgia all year. I'm being a little facetious there. But uh, they did finish with a bang. And uh, But so did Michigan. Michigan beat the number two team in the country the week before. And then beat Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. In my opinion, they had the two more impressive wins at the end. What do you think about that? I'm talking about the thing. as a group of two. Yeah. Yep. I mean, those last two games were really, really outstanding performances by Michigan. I thought the Iowa game would be a little tighter because of the way Iowa plays and you know, the way they drove down the field on the opening drive, and then they missed the field goal. And I kind of thought, well, yeah. They, that that was their opportunity, as strange as it sounds. But Michigan was impressive on both sides. They I'm really interested to see what they do with Georgia. Well, yeah. because as you you and I have seen a lot of SEC Big Ten matchups and bowl games, and some have been lopsided, some have had big time surprises. And I'm wondering, everybody's assuming Georgia's just gonna run them over. And they may very well do that. But I've learned, you know, in some of these spots, when you have those big time programs, you never know. Yeah. Hey, real quick, just the chaos that's ensued in the coaching ranks. Now, I think chaos is the right word when a when a head coach at Notre Dame leaves and goes to LSU and the head coach at Oklahoma leaves and goes to USC. You know, you know what I'm talking about from one blue blood to another. Uh, uh, I don't know, Bill, what do you make of what do you make of what's what's happened so far in this coaching carousel? It's kind of nuts, isn't it? Craziest so far. I mean, I've never <laughs> seen anything like it. And I'm sure I don't know if you have. I mean, oh. when you think about it, um, Brian Kelly leaving and going to LSU and obviously everything that's come with that. I think it's a great hire for LSU. And I think Notre Dame did the right thing and hired Marcus Freeman, a former Ohio State linebacker, very young, very enthusiastic coach. And if you'd have told me that Marcus Freeman was going to be Notre Dame's coach when they open at Ohio State next year, at the beginning of this year, I would have said, what what are we talking about here? How did we get there? And of course, the path is very interesting that we did. Um, 
And I like Lincoln Riley at USC. I think he restores that brand. I think it takes a little bit of time, but um, really good for him. I, I don't think he ducks the SEC with this move. I just think that's he took the better opportunity for him. Well, when somebody comes at you, supposedly waiting at your door when you get back from getting your rear end beaten by Oklahoma State, and uh, you know, according to his story, entice you to take their job in eight hours or less. Uh, I, by the way, I don't believe any of that. I mean, I believe maybe the first time they made eyeball contact was that, but something had to be in the works. But that's just me. Uh, uh, but, wow, yeah, it does speak volumes. But, you know, the funny thing is I look at it as – He's running away from a major challenge, which is Oklahoma playing in the SEC. And Brian Kelly's running to a major challenge, which is taking over Louisiana State playing in the SEC. Uh, clearly, he doesn't need to work on his Southern accent. He needs to forget about having a Southern accent, okay? But, but you know, it to me that made more sense maybe than what uh, Lincoln Riley did only because uh, – uh, he wants – I'm talking about Brian Kelly wants that challenge at LSU. That, uh, that maybe that possibility of having both a great offensive line and a great defensive line in the same year, you know, which is really tough right. to do at, at Notre Dame with, its, with some of its recruiting restrictions, et cetera. But uh, I don't know. What's, what's your take on my take there? No, I, you know, once you get past all the, the southern accent, the way he left Notre Dame abruptly, yeah. um, all those things that are – Hey, well, let me interrupt you, though. There's no easy way to do that. That right. when you think about it. Go ahead. Right. He can say goodbye and that's it. I mean, the, the, you're exactly right. So, and, and all the personality hit pieces on BK, he's still a really good coach. Yeah. He's I an outstanding so. coach. And I think he's going to be able to recruit well there. And his personality isn't for everybody, but he's had a lot of pretty good and very good players walk through the door at Notre Dame. So, and Cincinnati. And uh, I think he'll do a good job at LSU, but, the stakes have been raised. I mean, he has to win a national title now. At yeah. Notre Dame, I think we all kind of looked at him, Tim, like he's done a fantastic job and we could use the recruiting restrictions as a reason why they couldn't win at all. Um, he won't have that luxury at LSU. They expect to win it every year. They just yeah. ran off a coach who won it two years ago. Yeah, exactly. Bingo. <laughs> That's what I said. Since Charlie McClendon, man, coaches have had a lot, have had a hard time sticking around there. Even Nick Saban, you know, moved on to the NFL from there fairly quickly when you look at it, you know, from a timeline standpoint. And uh, so, you know, we'll see what he can do there. Last thing, Brent Venables going from Clemson to uh, Oklahoma. Well, what, what's, what's just your take on that one? Well, I think, you know, he'll, he'll obviously be, he knows the terrain. He spent a lot of, long time with Bob Stoops. I, you said this is a program that needs to get ready for the SEC. He's coached against SEC teams. He, you know, one thing, that I thought he would be an interesting head coach candidate. He recruits very well in Florida. If you look at the track record of Clemson prospects from Florida that he recruited, yeah. he's a really good job there. And they're going to need that to win in the SEC. You need defense. You need four- and five-star talent from the southern states, from Florida, Georgia, Alabama. Um, it's basically what we watched Saturday. First thing I texted my buddy when Georgia and Alabama were playing – Watched about five, ten plays. I was like, man, look at all the talent on this field. It's amazing to watch. And that's what they're going to have to bring to Norman to have a chance. Yeah. Hey, uh, I know I said last question, but, you know, you live in Pickerington, Ohio, but you cover the national scene. Heck, you're international with the sporting news. Let's put it that way, Bill. Yeah. Uh, where would you classify this Ohio State season, looking at it from an objective point of view, looking at it from uh, from 30,000 feet? Um 
I don't know. How would you, where, where would you compartmentalize it? Like I've got Rex Kern on, on this podcast and I'm talking about, it. it's really funny now that the Rose Bowl has become a consolation prize in this new era, you know, of college football. I'm not sure I like this new era, but uh, just, I don't know, where would you put it? it just uh, give it a B. Would you give it a B minus? Where, where would you stick it? Yeah, it's not often they lose two regular season games, but I mean, that's part of it. Rex, another Lancaster guy. So you've yes. got two Lancaster guys on this podcast today. Yes. Rex was just a tad bit better at football than me. He's actually around my late father's age. So uh, Rex <laughs> is the best. I hope that conversation was awesome. Um, yes. He, he, he's one of my favorites. He's a Lancaster legend, no doubt. But um, he'll tell you the same thing. I mean, there's no the Rose Bowl, still the Rose Bowl. Um, it, it's, you know, it will feel for some like a consolation prize playing in that game. It shouldn't. Uh, I think they got to go out, take care of business against Utah, build momentum for next season. We talked about the defense last week. Um, but it, it 11 and 2, if that's your bad year, look, Alabama had one of those two years ago. They lost two regular season games late in the year. And since then, they've bounced back and they've, they've won a national title and they're on the cusp of what I think they're a good bet to win another one. Does Cincinnati have a shot against Alabama? Well, remember a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about the checklist Michigan needed against the Buckeyes. Cincinnati's is probably significantly longer. Yeah. Um, it is cool that we get to see Ahmad Gardner guard Jameson Williams. Um, yes. Luke will, Luke will have him fired up. Luke's going to you know, take the blueprint he did against Georgia. The, key, the reason why they were able to stay in that Georgia game last year is they stopped the run. And uh, if they can stop the run, force, I, I think they need four or five turnovers. And Alabama doesn't turn the ball over a lot. I think that's the biggest problem. I don't know if you have a Heisman vote or not. I do. You know, you know I'm not allowed to uh, say who, who, I'm, who I'm voting for. As a matter of fact, as soon as I, we get done uh, recording this, I'm going to actually put my vote in. Who is your, who is your top three, at least in the Heisman category? Well, I voted this morning, so I'm going to have to, like, talk around this. Yeah, uh, I just said your top three. There yeah. you go. Well, I in mean, no particular I, I, order. <laughs> I think the top three will end up being it, – It's it depends on how you look at the award, right? So if you yeah. look at it like an MVP-type guy, Kenny Pickett's Pitt's MVP. He was amazing this year. He led him to an ACC championship. He perfected a fake slide. Had a great year. I think he'll be a finalist. Um, Bryce Young probably will win the Heisman. Yeah, let's go top on. four. Hey, let's go top four because there are probably four, at least four guys there, I'm thinking. But go ahead. Yeah, Bryce Young probably win it. And then after that, I think if Matt Corral's not a finalist, I think it'll be C.J. Stroud and Aiden Hutchinson, which is you can take that either way. I mean, Stroud probably wins the Heisman if they win the Big Ten championship, but they didn't. Hutchinson got a lot of late momentum. He also had like nine sacks in their last four games in those big games. So I could see those two in New York. So I think the finalists will end up being Young, Pickett, Hutchinson, Stroud, Maybe corral. Yeah. Last thing, Bill. Have I already said that three times? Mm-hmm. Last thing, promise. Yeah. Just your reaction from a national scope standpoint of the Quinn Ewers, uh, boy, we hardly knew you kind of situation, showing up at Ohio State in late August, leaving Ohio State in early, mid-December, uh, going back to the promised land, uh, which is Texas, probably one of those schools there. Uh, just what's your take on everything that went down in that whole situation? And like I said a while ago, 
is I didn't say this a while ago, but is college football headed to hell in a handbasket? I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. Well, I hope not. Uh, you know, I think the way it's recruited has been changed. NIL has changed everything. It's crazy to think that you had a five-star quarterback never throw a pass that it wasn't in maybe warmups, and then he's going to go to either Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech. I don't, I don't know that the sport has gone to hell. I think it's just gone through so many changes so fast that the corrections will come. I think the transfer portal makes it tough. Uh, if I'm a college football coach, the roster management end of it's got to be really difficult. We've heard Ryan Day talk a lot about that here locally. Um, yeah. And if I was an elite college football coach, I, I, I would almost think in some ways the NFL is easier, like dealing with those things that you don't have to deal with at the college football level. So we'll see how it changes. Yours will probably end up at a Texas school next year, but I mean, everybody just, it, to me, it's like slow down. You know, we get we rush to get these kids on campus so quick. Then we rush to get them in the NFL. As an adult, why would you be in a rush to get into adulthood? Adulthood's horrible sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you know, you got to enjoy being a kid, being a college student it, it, as long as you can. Now, if I was an elite four or five star athlete, I might have a different take on that. But I'm just a lowly rider. You know that machine they used to put you in of the Ohio lottery, you know, where all these dollar bills are flying around. You get to start grabbing them. Maybe that was the price is right. I don't know. But uh, we just got to get whatever whatever you can grab. I asked Ryan Day the other day if he felt like he was standing in the middle of a, of a uh, tornado at the moment, you know, with everything going on. And uh, he said, basically, yeah. I mean, there's so much for the college football coach, like you just said, has to deal with, like, in-season you know, NFL teams aren't dealing with the, the free agent market in season, et cetera, unless they're just desperate for a player. But, I mean, it is crazy what college football is uh, has evolved to, correct? Correct. And it's it just one of those things that we'll see where it is in five years. I remember Day saying that at Big Ten Media Day. He said we may wake up in five years and not know what college football looks like. And yeah, that was over or, uh, another round of realignment. So, yeah. Again, I think some of it will correct itself. NIL, the recruiting, having kids do that. There'll be a lot of um, cautionary tales, unfortunately, along the way. But that's uh, still it's still a pretty good product. And um, we'll see. I mean, Ohio State's always going to be in the mix and, and for national championships as long as they keep recruiting and doing the things they're doing. And, you know, next year, I'm sure, I don't know if you've been in the facility yet, I bet they have a countdown to the Michigan game going now. It resets. Yeah, it resets. I think maybe even on its own. Uh, even on its own. Last question. I said that four times, but this is definitely it. Right now, as you look at it, who's your favorite to win the national championship? I'll check back with you uh, later yeah. this month uh, to see, <clears throat> you know, to see if you've changed your mind. But go ahead. No, I mean it's it's hard not to pick Alabama and Georgia to win. I do think that Michigan Georgia game is going to be really competitive, and, and it's it's one though, Tim, that I can break it down all I want but you have to see the first 10 to 20 plays because you have to see how is Michigan's offense reacting to the Georgia speed that you see on TV? What do they look like up front? Things that coaches see that I can't see, but I, I once I see it on the field for like 10 plays, I'm like, okay, I've got a feel for this, but I, I think Georgia will win. I think Alabama wins. I think we get a national championship rematch without Mechie becomes a little more interesting because Georgia had a plan that was working. And then once Alabama hit him a couple times, I think it became a psychological thing. And yeah. you've seen that with Michigan and Ohio State. It got real psychological real fast. And for whatever reason, 
Nick Saban is definitely in Georgia's head. And uh, I would probably pick Alabama to win it all again, but I think it will be very competitive. And I think they may petition to move that game from Indy down back to Atlanta because all them Southerners are going to be up in Indianapolis and they're going to have to buy winter coats. Yeah, maybe they'll let Brian Kelly do the pregame introductions of the players. <laughs> with that, with that, that fake be, accent. I was waiting for that. <clears throat> That'd be a good well, one. You don't think yours. Yeah, but you're right about Alabama. The thing that Alabama's got going for it that, that, that Georgia doesn't is Bryce Young versus Stetson Bennett. I mean, uh, all, Alabama's got that big pass play as long as Jameson Williams is on the field. That threat every play, and that definitely – those were huge moments in that game, I mean, uh, against Georgia over the weekend, correct? Oh, absolutely, and they'll continue to – they'll have to scheme around that. I think Alabama will have to run the ball better if they have a rematch. I think Georgia will have to stick with their game plan as long as they can and be aggressive in the passing game. I think it will be closer. Um, and, and there have been rematches before, Florida, Florida State, back in the 90s, LSU, Alabama. That was one of the worst BCS championship games ever in the rematch. Yeah. But um, – and the other team won. So yeah. the, the motivation goes the other side, but it'll be a fun game. And, and I, like I said, I think as much as Alabama-Georgia would be fun, Michigan-Alabama would be a lot more fun. Michigan-Cincinnati would be amazing. Oh, that would so, be unbelievable. Uh, we'll see if we can get to that, but I have my doubts. I think in this crazy world of college football this year, this crazy season, that 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 is a good chance of happening. I know the last weekend went chalk, but uh, the, next two, the next two are going to be, I think, extremely interesting. Hey, Bill Bender. Thanks for joining Tim A Podcast again as an irregular guest, man. And uh, I'm going to have you on again later in the month, if that's all right. All right. Thanks so much, Tim. I'll talk to you soon. And uh, check us out at Sporting News, man. That was a lot of fun. Absolutely. I always check the Sporting News, especially when Bill Bender's bylines on the story. See you, man. See you. Hey, awesome, Ward. Always uh, appreciate having Bill Bender on because, you know, he does give us that little slice from the uh, from the 30,000 feet, even though he only lives about a mile and a half away, right? <laughs> He does. He keeps his uh, finger on the pulse there, as those pick guys love to do. Hey, let me ask you this, though. Are you, you know, now that things are kind of, uh, you know, the dust has settled to a certain extent, are you kind of excited, a little bit excited about watching Ohio State-Utah? I mean, here's Utah, you know, has never played in the Rose Bowl. This is a huge game for them. Uh, you know, and, and right now you would sense just the momentum is with Utah going to this game. But there's still like three weeks, three and a half weeks, uh, before this game is played. But uh, just what's your sense of being out there, <clears throat> of getting ready to go out there and to watch this game? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's unfortunate. Like, I feel pretty similar to the way we're talking about Ohio State players and wondering how motivated they are for it. And that maybe in a week or two, once uh, it gets closer, you know, once the pads are back on, that uh, maybe you get a feel for how motivated the team is. Like if Ohio state doesn't want to play a full go full barrel, hundred percent effort against Utah and a bunch of players opt out, then no, I wouldn't be excited to watch it. If they're treating it like an exhibition, you know, I will I'll go watch Ohio state play anywhere and go learn about those young guys and, uh, and all the stuff that goes with that. That's, you know, what I, what I live to do. Yeah. Uh, that's my job. So, I love that part of it, but you know, I, I feel that right now, like there's so many other things that are going on for Ohio state that, that is off season mode. When we're talking about transfer portal and potential coaching moves and NFL decisions and opt outs, like an early signing period, go ahead. Early signing period, you know, in, in 10 days. So 
all those things are just like the 2022 stuff just is more, I don't know, it, it more meaningful than whatever happens on January one. And I don't like that. It feels that way. I think it, you, when you have these games that they, they should matter, but there's no actual stakes attached to it. It won't, if Ohio State loses, it doesn't mean that they're not going to be one of the top uh, four talented teams in the country next year in a legitimate college football playoff and national title contender again. Like, it won't mean anything like that. And all these other moves that they have to make are just way more, way more significant. And, uh, you know, I feel like there are real world stakes attached to those things that are going on that are separate from playing Utah at the end of the month. Sorry, man. I started grinning when you when you when you started summing all this up because basically, twenty twenty two is what they're aiming at, at this point. I mean, for the most part. And uh, just remember, one of your favorite coaches, Mike Loxley, talked about how Maryland got bowl eligible. Now, next season starts now. Right. And I said, uh, favorite favorite was in quotes, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you couldn't see it, but uh, if you're listening on one of the major platforms, but uh, yeah. Anyway, to be the case for all those games, Tim. Yeah. Like. Yes. You know, and it, and for different programs, you treat it differently. Like, um, you know, Wyoming wants to get to bowl eligibility. And the fact that Craig Bowl has been able to do that consistently is why he got a huge raise up to almost $2 million to coach at Wyoming in the Mountain West. Like, they're playing for different standards and they will want to win that game and add a trophy to the case. Like, that's important to them. But I think yeah. part, of the, part of the issue is that Ohio State is always in contention for these other larger goals. And they came short of all of them. And they like this isn't something that they would say at the start of the year that would mark a successful year to win the win the Rose Bowl because it won't. But for Utah, it will. And so I think the other part of this when we're talking about how, how motivated are they, like Ohio State, you know, if they're not prepared to match that intensity, yes, then it be it might be ugly and there <laughs> might be something else for them to not be very proud about. Exactly. I agree with you 158%. <laughs> yeah, with that in mind, and speaking of uh, Rose Bowl glory, let's move on to my next guest. You like that little segue? That's uh, perfect. Rex Kern, man, 1968, Super Softs. He was as super as any of the Super Softs were that year when Ohio State uh, won their national championship uh, for Woody Hayes, his third national championship. Third that we recognize from a wire service standpoint, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, bottom line is uh, – uh, he's got a book out, uh, the, the Road to the Horseshoe and Beyond, that he co-wrote with Lee Carrier and uh, chronicling his rise from uh, Lancaster to, uh, to Ohio State and then beyond and, and the lessons he learned, especially from Woody Hayes. So, but, but then he also has insight on what this current Ohio State team is going through, having gone to Michigan as a favorite and losing like, uh, like that team he was with in 1968 and 69. They were number one in the country again, went to Michigan and got upset by first-year coach Bo Schimbeckler and that group and uh, talked about recovering from that and how long it takes, et cetera. It is a stunner. But uh, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Rex Kern. Ho, 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 ladies and gentlemen. You're looking for that, uh, you're looking for that special Christmas gift for your Buckeye fan out there, your Buckeye loyalist. Uh, Look no farther than right here, right now. We've got a preview of one of the great gifts out there, uh, The Road to the Horseshoe and Beyond, a book written uh, by Rex Kern with Lee Carrier. Rex Kern, welcome once again to the Tim May Podcast. Uh, Tim, thank you. Very, very good to be with you. Good to see you again. 
By the way, your publisher can send me all can send me that uh, check, you know, for promoting your book right off the jump. There, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, man. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm hearing this thing is I'm hearing this thing, you know, for one of another term, sort of a runaway bestseller. They're they're having a hard time keeping it in bookstores, aren't they? Yeah, yes, they are in the Columbus area. Uh, we uh, uh, we've been overwhelmed with the uh, results. And it's just really uh, flattering, and uh, uh, I, I don't know what to say more than that, Tim. But it, it's been a great. It's been great. Uh, we have book signings there, and uh, everything's just been great. Uh, the uh, bookstore owners have just been uh, uh, as gracious as they could be. And so Lee and I have been really thrilled with uh, the results. What compelled you, Rex, you know, national championship quarterback, uh, starting quarterback 1968 with the Ohio State Buckeyes, really uh, the season that kind of rekindled things after a little bit of a denouement there in the mid-60s <laughs> for Ohio State and Woody Hayes. But what compelled, you know, you got you were the – I would call you the leader of the super softs, you know, and of course I think a lot of other guys in that group would call themselves the leaders too, but you were, you were the quarterback, you know, that's what matters. But uh, uh, what compelled you to, to get it down in writing, so to speak, uh, about some of these great stories you've, you've, you've had over the years? Well, Tim, it, it was really interesting how it got started. Uh, two years ago, Christmas time, our son, and his wife, John Rand and Heather, there in Dublin, Ohio, gave me a gift called Storybook. And Storybook, uh, they send you a question of the month or bi-monthly, and it's to write stories and put down your history for your kids and grandkids. Yeah. And I thought, hey, this is pretty cool. So, Tim, I started doing that, and after about three months, I said, wait a minute, it took me seven years to write my dissertation for my doctorate. Uh, <laughs> man, I don't want this thing to last seven years. And so I picked up the phone, called a friend of mine in Columbus there, Lee Carrier, who had written several great books about Ohio State basketball with Jerry Lucas and those guys. Yeah. And uh, I said, Lee, would you be interested in writing down stories? And so we can chronicle and pass on to the kids and grandkids. He said, sure, Rex, uh, let's have a go at it. I'd call Lee twice a week. We'd talk for two hours. He'd hear the stories. He'd write them, send them to me, see if they were accurate, and so on and so forth. And then uh, Tim is right after the very first uh, conversation. He goes, Rex, you know, uh, I'm an Ohio State fan, and I think you've got a bigger audience. And uh, so he said, why don't we just keep going and let's follow this thing through. And the next thing I know, we, uh, we had uh, enough material, Tim, for over a 300-page book to tell stories. And you're going to get a kick out of this one. We, uh, the largest chapter was the Woody Hayes chapter. And I would keep coming up with stories and stories. And Lee said, hey, we got to cut this chapter down. <laughs> I said, we can't cut the chapter down. He goes, okay, only one more story. And then we, one night I was across the street here in Denver talking to our neighbors. I remember you playing, but who were some of your great players on that team? I said, well, we had a bunch of them. 
But probably the name you would know the best is a guy by the name of Jack Tatum. And he goes, oh, yeah, I've always wondered about that. So I told him about this story of Jack Tatum. And I said, God darn it. I forgot to put that in the book. I got to call my author tomorrow. And so I called Lee and Lee goes, Rex, man, I don't know if we can get it in. I said, we got to get it in. And so, you know, those kind of things just kept popping up. And uh, we uh, we went on. We talked about my injuries. We talked about my faith. I became Christian. And so, uh, Jim, I've also used it as a fundraiser. And when uh, I was on the first book tour, I went to my high school and the uh, book retails for like 28 bucks plus, uh, you know, tax. And they say, if you put your autograph on, you get another 20 bucks. So, you know, it's roughly 50 bucks. Yeah. So I say to my high school, I say, look, I'll come. And I'll sign my book and we'll donate all the money that we raised that night to the athletic department. And so we went down to Lancaster and uh, they paid $50 for the book. And we donated all the money to Lancaster High School Booster Club. And they raised just about $6,500. The next night, I went went up to Columbus and we had, <clears throat> pardon me, a fellowship Christian athletes meeting and uh, we raised uh, shy of $10,000. Wow. And so uh, that's been the exciting part too, Tim, yeah. to be able to get back. Yeah. Hey, Rex, you know, you just touched on it though. I mean, that's, this is what's interesting is, you know, because I've got a buddy of mine, Jeff Snook. He's a good friend of yours too. You know, Jeff. Oh, yeah. And he's done oh, books. Yes. He's done books, you know, with all kinds of guys around the country and stuff, and uh, including Frank Beamer. Spent a long time with him, you know, and oh, uh, yeah. Oklahoma football. Done a bunch of books on Ohio State football and things. But you know, he and I talked about this before. It's like when you when you start talking, when you like you're the subject of the book. There, you like you said about the Jack Tatum thing. All of a sudden, stories come back to you that you had basically put in way back in the back shelf, right, of your brain. And, yeah. uh, and wow, were they interesting. Well, give, give me another example of a story that just popped to the front suddenly that, you know, maybe you had forgotten about or you found very interesting that's in this book. Well, you know, in the Woody chapter, what, what is such a, a uh, 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 you know, father image, but yet he can be a tyrant? <clears throat> And yeah, <clears throat> pardon me, what, what we kind of say in the book or say about the book that you, you can be the uh, 12th man in the huddle and you will hear the stories about Woody Hayes. But the one thing that I wanted to really emphasize about the old man was he believed in education. You know, Tim, the first coach to ever recruit me in any of my three sports was Fred Taylor at Ohio State. And I, that was my goal was to play basketball for Ohio State. And Fred also believed in education. And it was really interesting because after I retired from the NFL, I was uh, 
uh, having my second of now seven back surgeries <laughs> and I had to retire. And uh, at that time, I was working on my doctorate in athletic administration. And so going back to the airport after I flunked my physical, there were two other players there that uh, were released that day. And they're sitting in the back of the bus saying, hey, you know, I know this guy who knows that guy that we might be able to get to try out with the Cowboys. And, you know, we're going to call them right away. And so I kind of scooted, scooted myself back and I said, well, hey, uh, what you guys graduate in when you were in college? And they looked at one another and they said, graduate? We played football. <laughs> I said, well, didn't you go to class? And they said, no. Well, we, we were signed up for classes, but we, we never attended. And I thought, <clears throat> well, Woody said, if, as Woody and Fred said, if you come to Ohio State, you'll get an education. And Tim, when <clears throat> I worked very briefly there at the university, I ran a longitudinal study on Woody Hayes' graduation rate for the first 25 years. And he had a graduation rate, <clears throat> pardon me, it's okay. the first 25 years of 87.6% of the varsity old football players played for Woody wow. graduated. But an, an amazing statistic of that 86, another 37% went on to graduate or professional school. Wow. And so that comes through uh, Woody, but it also comes through Woody when, uh, you know, when yeah. he would get upset at practice and he'd have a megaton. And uh, we, we, we try to be honest and fair, but uh, I, if your viewers uh, pick the book up, I want them to read the very last paragraph of what I say about the old man. And uh, it's dear and near to my heart. Yeah, I know that, man. By the way, uh, for those other two guys in the car with you who said they didn't get their degree, did those guys go to Michigan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. If so, they had probably been in graduate school by that time. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Rex, when you watched that game uh, last weekend, a week and a half ago, was that tough to take? I mean, it's, just give me your yeah. – you know, you guys had that great team in 68. Y'all beat Michigan, uh, what, 50 to 14. Woody went for two because he couldn't go for three. You know, all the legends. And then the next year, Bo Schembechler up there, uh, they pull the upset. Were you, were you having a little bit of a deja vu moment there when you're watching this team struggle against Michigan uh, uh, this year uh, with everything on the line? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, bring, or it brought back uh, uh, memories that, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, game there, uh, Tim, was the only one that we should have lost. We, we only lost two, but that one, it seemed like Bo was in our huddle all day long. He knew the play before the old man had already called it. 
and they played a uh, wonderful football game and they were the better team that day. But, uh, you know, I, yes, I, 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 I thought, Oh my goodness. Uh, this last game, they, uh, yeah, brought back, uh, not happy memories. Well, what, what's the key, uh, Rex? Cause you went through it, you know, back then, of course, y'all lost that game. Y'all weren't going to get to go to a bowl game anyway. You weren't going to get to go back to the Rose Bowl because of the rules back then in the Big Ten and stuff. But uh, what was the key to getting past that? If you could give uh, the players on the current Ohio State team or who are going to be playing in the Rose Bowl, even though they got, even though they lost to Michigan, which is interesting. Uh, what, what, what's, what's, I don't know, some advice you would give them about uh, restoring their dauber is the word I like to use. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Tim, I think what Woody would always say that Tim, the team that will win today will be the team who never quits and who makes the fewest mistakes. Yeah. And as I saw our Buckeyes play that day, it appeared to me our defense felt they were beaten. And it was from the very beginning, you know, Harbaugh took the ball, went right down, scored. You know, I don't know how many passes, uh, not many in that series. He just buckled the chin strap and said, we're coming after you guys. And uh, I think that they wanted it more than we did. And they proved it. And uh, we have to lick our wounds. And I'll tell you, uh, we licked our wounds after that game. And every day in practice, from that point on, whether we were playing uh, a non-conference foe, we spent a little bit of time on those guys up north. And we were preparing to play them all season long. And in fact, our whole student body, Tim, I was telling people, golly, just this week, they said, well, yeah, how, how did you guys respond your senior year? Well, it was really interesting because not only were we getting prepared to play, the whole student body was. They were going around to our dorms and fraternities cheering us on like on Tuesday night. And the crowd started growing on campus and they would go to the dorms and Woody got wind of this. And I didn't put this, Hey, here's another story I didn't put in there, but anyway, uh, Woody found out about it and he goes, Hey, I got to get the team rest. And Woody always said that Thursday night was your best sleeping night. And so anyway, he pulled us out of the dorms a day early and we stayed at the Fawcett center. And so about 10 o'clock that night, some of the younger guys and the seniors said, Hey, Rex, you know, we normally go out to get something to eat about this time. And he said, uh, can you ask Woody if we can get something to eat? And so, uh, Wagon and I went to coach A's. We said, Hey coach, you know, the guys are hungry. And so there's a McDonald's right down from uh, Fawcett Center. 
Yeah. He he's he sends her he sends her train or not trainer but our manager Red Black down, and Red walks into the to McDonald's. I need a hundred big bags and a hundred French fries and a hundred milkshakes as fast as you can get them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Woody wondered why it took him so long to get all the food back. Oh my God! But uh, but uh, you know that that. That, that was a sad day. I think what uh, what the Buckeyes need to do when they go to Pasadena is not get caught up in all the wonderful, uh, uh, you know, Disneyland and the travel that they have to do out there and uh, get focused. Um, yeah, may, maybe Ryan Day will be like Woody and take him to the monastery the night before the game. I was going to say, I mean, because, you know, Utah is coming for bear, man. First time ever yes. in the Rose Bowl. You know, they're buying up Ohio State's allotment of tickets. I mean, right as we speak, you know, probably 10 more just went out the door. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal for them. You've got to, like you said, you got to match the intense intensity finally on January 1, right? Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. For, you know, for a team coming in that's pretty high uh, and – we're not as high as they are. Yeah. We, we just need to get back to the fundamentals and we need to do what we can do best and uh, buckle the chin strap and, uh, and don't give up and play as hard as they can. It is my hypothesis, uh, Rex, that the fact that the Rose Bowl has become a consolation prize for Ohio State, you know what I mean by consolation prize, uh, yes, like yeah. a door, like a raffle prize at the end when no, when you didn't get to win the big prize. Uh, uh, dude, I mean, where's college football headed right now? In your opinion, I mean, you looking right now at all these uh, these uh, tens of millions of dollars that are being thrown at coaches to jump from one program to the next. You got the national, you got the name, image, and likeness deal, which you know you're paying attention. You know that Ohio State had a quarterback who signed early from Texas and uh, now he's already left or he's entered the transfer portal, Quinn Ewers. And supposedly he's got uh, NIL deals that are worth well over a million dollars. He has, he's played two snaps at Ohio state. Now he's moving on to find fame and fortune elsewhere. Uh, what are you worried about college football? Um, I think, am I worried about it? Uh, yes. And I'm greatly disappointed in it. You know, uh, uh, some people have said, Rex, what do you think you would have got yeah. when you were in high school? And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm glad I came from uh, Lancaster. I'm glad my dad was a barber. Uh, I'm glad he grew up as a farmer. I'm glad my mom was the same. And, you know, it was just an honor to be recruited and have a college scholarship to get a degree that would last me longer than my NFL or my likeness image because uh, that fades pretty darn quick. And to me, it, it really separates. It becomes now an individual game instead of a team game. Mm -hmm. I mean, how can you, as a high school quarterback, come in with a million dollars 
in your pocket and take two snaps and say, I'm going to go elsewhere because I'm not getting any playing time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that uh, you know, intercollegiate athletics is no longer intercollegiate athletics. Uh, you know, it's yeah. uh, it, it's the semi-pro, but now, hey, shoot. <laughs> hey, Tim, hey, hey, that like this. That's more than my NFL contract. I know, man. Hey, I'm telling you what, there are more zeros on that than, than I got as an I, NFL player. I was going to say, there's at least a couple of more zeros on there than you made as an NFL player. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so, you know, but that genie's out of the bottle now. You know, it's law, you know, basically. Yeah. You know how this you can take. I mean, forget about NCAA rules. NCAA kicked the can down the down the down the street long enough to where the you know state stepped in and made it laws that you're allowed to take advantage of this stuff. So you know that uh, there's no going back now, is there, Rex? No, no, not at all. Um, I just uh, I, I don't know what I don't know what it's going to look like uh, because the the. Unfortunately, the people who are going to get the big dollars are going to be quarterbacks, wide receivers, running backs, maybe defensive backs. And what about my backside tackle? Yeah. Yeah. What about my sim? You know, if I'm going to get that kind of money, it's a team sport. I would set up a pool of funds to share those dollars with my teammates. Yeah. Uh, but I would venture to say that nothing happens like that. Yeah. I, I remember uh, Tim when, uh, when OJ Simpson uh, ran for over 2000 yards, I was later a teammate of his in Buffalo and uh Juice went out and bought the biggest rings and diamonds for his whole offensive line uh, when he did that. And uh, that showed a great deal of class. And it showed it wasn't only OJ that was doing all the work. It was guys like my teammate Dave Foley on our all uh, Big Ten and national championship team that that helped him do that. And uh, I think if we can get that kind of uh, contribution from the people who are making those money, that money, or donate it back to the university to help pay for scholarships for guys to come back and graduate, uh, that becomes an individual thing. Yeah. And I would hope they would do something like that. Yeah. I'm just, as you're talking there, I'm just thinking, though, man, I was growing up in Texas when you were in 68, when you and those super softs did what y'all did. I knew who you were. You know what I mean? This is before ESPN. Yeah. This is before Twitter. I mean, I knew who Rex Kern was. I mean, you know, in college with a name, image, and likeness deal, you could have made a fortune. You know, Jim Stillwagon, all these guys could have oh, yeah. made uh, life-changing fortunes. Uh, in their three years under Woody, I just keep thinking, how would Woody, how would Woody have dealt with a transfer portal? How would he, 
you know, would would, would that have run him out, or or, he, or would Woody have ad- adapted to the times? I mean, I think he was, except for that offense they ran in the middle of the uh, middle seventies. <laughs> I think he adapted. Yeah. He knew how to swing, right? I mean, to a certain extent, with what was with what was next. Yes, but he also had the ability to stay focused on what the purpose was. Yeah, and his his purpose, and it comes out in 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 my book, uh, Daryl Sanders, who was uh, a great All American for Woody. He was. Uh, number one draft choice as a tackle. And uh, Daryl basically said Woody's purpose was not to prepare you for the NFL, but to prepare you for life. Yeah. And that's what we saw Woody do. And we wanted to, you know, kind of emulate what Woody would do. And I think somehow, some way with this likeness, that Woody would, uh, uh, yeah, I'll say, Woody would preach that, look, you need to give back. The old man always said, you can't ever pay back, but you can always pay forward. And if these kids take that attitude, and if it's, if they see their coach doing it, like we saw the old man doing it, you just do those things. Yeah. And that's why we revere him so much. Hey, Rex, last thing. Are you glad now as you sit back? I mean, I think you are. I think you're pretty proud of this book you and Lee Carrier put together. Are Are you glad you did it? I mean, you know, uh, you know there's, there's one thing to talk about your legacy or people to talk about your legacy. But the, I think one of the great things is when you do a book like this, it makes you even more grateful uh, and appreciative of some of the breaks you got, but some of the breaks you developed on your own, et cetera. Right. I mean, that, uh, that going through those hard knocks is it was not easy being Rex, <laughs> being Rex Kern and that team of 68, uh, those super softs either. Right. I mean, like you said, seven back surgeries, I think pretty much tells the story on a lot of the, just the pain and anguish you go through to, to achieve stardom. But are you, are you glad now you put this book together? Well, Tim, uh, I, I, I would, I, I'm going to correct you. I'm not glad I did it. I'm humbled by it. You know, yeah. it, it's just really, uh, I, I've already, Jim, I've got <laughs> my, my Nancy in my dining room is full of letters and requests for the book and some of the teammates, uh, Glenn Mason, I got, uh, golly, I got this great note from Glenn the other day and it it just overwhelmed me. And Tim, you know, one of my best friends on that team and today is Ron Masajowski. And, and Mace wrote, writes this glaring, testimonial in the beginning of the book and i i put mace on on the inside cover of the book with what he said i and and tim (laughs) get the get these endorsements uh you know there's a guy that played golf at ohio state for us that you know 
by the name of Jack Nicholas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Trestle wrote the foreword. Wow. Jerry Lucas endorsed the book. Wow. Archie Griffin, Kirk Herbstreet, Steve Hayes, uh, Jeff Kaplan, Gordon Gee, Ernie Acorsi was my general manager with the Baltimore Colts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the list goes on and it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's very humbling to, uh, and bring me to tears with that kind of stuff. It's just really been, uh, uh, uh delightful. Yes. The road to the horseshoe and beyond, uh, by Rex Kern with, with Lee Carrier's help. It always helps to have another guy typing in, man. I, like when I retired oh, yeah. from the dispatch, I said, if I didn't have to write another story, man, my fingers are falling off, you know, but, <laughs> but, right. uh, but, uh, but man, you know, those trips down memory lane, you know, you know, the great thing about you is, you know, it's, it's great when I have it, when I have conversations with you, Rex, over the years, you know, you talk about the past, you don't live in the past, but you talk about the past because of the, the, the lessons it can teach you for the future, right. To deal with the future. And, uh, and I think that's what stands out more than anything, you know, is like putting these experiences to work for you down the road, you know, and the, the pay forward idea by Woody, you know, a lot of people have adopted that now, you know, but uh, back then it was a novel, you know, the way he yeah. said it, it was a novel approach. Right. And it's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. And I remember Tim, when, uh, when Woody passed away, uh, you know, he always talked about education. Yeah. And so I, I sent a letter out to uh, our national championship team. And I said, we need to do something really special for the old man. And so uh, Captain Dave Foley came up with the idea because we were in our mid thirties at that time. We didn't have, you know, a lot of free cash. We were trying to build, you know, for our families and their, our family's education. And uh, Duke came up and suggested, well, we could give cash or we could buy an insurance policy. And, Tim, just from our football team in 1968, we raised $1.3 million wow. for the Woody and Ann Hayes Scholarship Fund at Ohio State. Wow. And, uh, you, you know, that, that was a great tribute to, uh, to the old man for what uh, he meant to all of us. And uh, I, I think that really uh, exemplifies what, what he taught us. And so it was time to pay back for him. Yeah. I was going to say that statue outside the Woody A's athletic center, that doesn't just stand for one man. That stands for the impact that that man had and the people he coached had, you know, and, you know, it's, it's so much more <laughs> than one person. Yes. Yeah, it sure is. I, yeah. He, he, <laughs> there's lots of stories behind that one too. Oh yeah. <laughs> that statue. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know if, how many, how many, if they're going to build two or three more for Nick Saban at Alabama, he's already got one, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Hey, by exactly the way, real right. quick before we go, that anecdote you said about uh, sending the, uh, the trainer down to, uh, 
the the trader down to the McDonald's to get those hundred uh, Big Macs and hundred <laughs> orders of fries. Hundred, dude. I I worked at Burger Chef my sophomore, junior, and senior years in high school in Lufkin, Texas. And dude, we dreaded when a bus pulled up out front. You know what I mean? Oh, I'll bet. You just yeah, started slapping the burger meat on the on the tray, man. I mean, it was like, uh, yeah, you know. There's, there's, yeah. You know right. What I'm trying to tell you is, there's two pers- perspectives there. You know, in a that's story right. Like that. That's exactly right. <laughs> there's the yeah. fry cook, and there's the guy ordering. But uh, anyway, yeah, yeah absolutely so, right. Hey, Rick's turn. Appreciate you, man. Uh, um, and a Merry Christmas to you. And I hope this book keeps selling big time. I'm sure it will. But uh, I'm glad to have you on my podcast again, my man. Well, thanks so much, Tim. I appreciate it. You have a Merry Christmas, too, and go Buckeyes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. I always enjoy my conversations with Rex Kern. You talk about a legend. <laughs> That's Rex Kern in Ohio State football history. Uh, and uh, it is pretty cool to touch base with these guys, isn't it? Uh, awesome. Absolutely. It's one of the best parts. So they, they know the game. Uh, the experience is better than we ever will. So we try to convey that through them a lot of times, but when they get to do it themselves, that's really the best way. Yeah, and speaking of rising legends, man, my next guest, Jen Flynn Oldenburg, came back to her alma mater, Ohio State, in uh, January of 2020 to take over the women's volleyball head coaching job. And she's done quite the job in the last, what, not even full two years. I mean, here they are. They're in the regional, the regional semifinals this coming weekend. Well, actually, it's on Thursday, starting on Thursday against Georgia Tech in Louisville. And if they can win two more matches, they, they would get to return home and not only is Ohio State playing host to the women's Final Four in volleyball this year uh, at Nationwide Arena, but they would get to be playing in that. And, uh, wow, what a boost that would be. But even despite that, I mean, you know, this team is the ninth seed in this region and uh, uh, is coming on big time, has come on big time as this year has gone along. And without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Jen Flynn Oldenburg. And as promised, Jen Flynn Oldenburg joins the Tim May Podcast Coach, uh, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, I was going to say you're excited. I mean, these are exciting times for the high State women's volleyball team. I mean, you guys are coming off a, uh, a big first two-round wins in the Cavelli Center. I understand the place was jam-packed. People were screaming. And, you, boy, do you just get a sense about something you guys have got going on right now, uh, your building, et cetera? Just what's your sense coming out of that weekend? Yeah, it's, it's an exciting time for our program. Um, you know, anytime that you, you get to the, the NCAA tournament and, and have a chance to host, I think it's it's good for the program to come out of that weekend with two wins against, you know, two two quality opponents, even better, and give us a chance to, to continue our season. But 
Cavelli is a special place. I mean, where I feel very fortunate that, you know, one, I have the job, but two, I get to, to come to work every day in Cavelli Center and then to have the place rocking like it was this weekend. It, it was awesome. It was, it was great for our team. Yeah, that place was a long time coming in Ohio State, you know, athletic department. Uh, you know, they wanted those that kind of an arena for a while, you know, just to showcase a sport like like y'all's. And uh, it really has come alive, hasn't it? Oh, it's awesome. I mean, winning helps, right? Winning yeah. helps. And oh, yeah. that but but yeah, the the community support, the the student section. I mean, we're we have a lot of support here for, for Black Eye Volleyball. I'm yeah, I'm excited for the program, especially the team right now. All right. You guys knocked off Howard. You know, poor Howard. You guys knocked off Tennessee. Poor Tennessee. Nobody's crying. I think you beat Howard in three straight sets. Uh, you beat Tennessee uh, three and one. Now you're headed to the uh, to the regionals in in Louisville, uh, where you're playing who Georgia Tech, number eight seed. You guys are number nine seed. Am I am I right on that? And yep, you got that uh, right. this is it's going to be Thursday afternoon, but uh, it just ramps up from here, right? Yeah, I mean, every round gets a little bit tougher. Uh, Georgia Tech's a, a great team out of the ACC. They they were a third place team, but you know, don't let that fool you. They they're pretty physical and they really emotional team. I think it's going to be a fun environment. Um, you know, we have Riley Raider from Louisville, so she has yeah. a lot of family and friends that are going to fill up the crowd. Um, but we we travel well. We're we're sending a, a bus down of students and our band and you know cheer. So it's going to be an exciting environment for for our players to be in and, and a chance to to advance. You guys are 27 and five. I keep saying you guys. I'm sorry about that, but I don't say you, I don't want to say you gals. You you folks are 27 <laughs> and five, you know, for the season. I think 15 and five, what in the Big Ten? Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, what a year, what a year to now, right? And I just wanted to just touch on this before we move on. What's just kind of really come right this season, especially for this for this particular team? Yeah, I, th- I think it's the experience. Uh, last season, you know, playing in the spring was a little bit strange, but it helped us. And, yeah. and to turn around and, and do it again so quickly, but with a similar lineup, you know, I think that that played to our advantage. Um, and, and I think what what helps us is is having that experience from last year translated into this year and being in big moments. I mean, nothing prepares you like the tournament, like the Big Ten season. So playing in the best conference in the country is huge for us. It gives us the experience, the battles every night, regardless of who you're playing, top to bottom. You know, Big Ten's tough, so um, you know, I, th- I think it, we're in a good, we're in a good spot, and our team's ready to to go compete on Thursday. Here's a dumb question for you, because I've watched you guys a couple times on television this year already, and uh, there was one I'm trying to remember. They think it was Minnesota, and they had quite the crowd going, uh, et cetera. But when you when you lose a big match. Does that help you down the road if you follow a drift? In other words, the team kind of figures out where it lost its grip. Because now I think y'all won, I think, nine in a row uh, yeah. at this point. Does that kind of help a team, like you know, like a volleyball team, find its grip on, on those last few moments of uh, whatever a set that's critical? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, certainly it could go the other direction, too, and it yeah. can continue down that the bad path. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think if you, if you address things um, from an emotional standpoint, but also a technical standpoint, I think those losses can help you. Um, you know, one example is, is Texas. They were number one all season and they lose to Baylor late. And everybody's like, oh, crap. They, got, they have a loss now. Like they, they're going to learn from that and be ready for the tournament. You know, with us, um, you know, I, I didn't expect to come out of the Big Ten unscathed. Yeah. Uh, we, had, we had a few more losses than I think we wanted because I feel like those, some of those matches were in our grasp. But that, that last Minnesota match, there, you know, our last loss, I think that was a frustrating one for our team. Yeah, and I think the coolest... Uh, statement in the locker room after that one was, hey, we're, we're tired of learning lessons. Like, I feel like we've learned them. Like, now let's start acting. 
And so from there, they're, they're talking about, you know, actions, meeting their words, and, and they've done that. You know, the, the turnaround from that Thursday night match against Minnesota to the Saturday night match against Nebraska was huge. And yeah. we, we came out and, and handled Nebraska, and, and they're a very good team. So, yeah, I think we, you can learn from it. And, and I feel like our team has, and, and we're, we're ready to roll. Give, give folks a, an example of several people on this team. I mean, you can't name everybody necessarily, but just key, key, key components of this team, players that they've really come on, especially in this, in this rush, these, these last, nine mat, last nine matches. Oh, yeah. I want to name everybody because I don't want to leave anybody out. I right? mean, you like, would. They're, yeah, they're, they're all important for our success, including the people on the bench. I mean, the energy they bring daily in practice and in matches, that's, that's a tough job. So, first of all, shout out to our bench because they're, they're bringing it every day. Um, but you know, that it's Riley Rader, our middle who, who led the conference and hitting percentage. Um, you know, she's, she frustrates other teams and, and she loves doing it by the way, like that's like her, her goal in life, which is awesome. Yeah. Our, our setter, Mac Pedraza is doing a good job running the show. Kylie Murs, our, our heartbeat of the team, you know, the, the emotional leader. And, and when she's going, everybody wants to follow. And, and then we have, you know, hitters that are going to take big swings. Emily Londot will take a big swing. Gabby Gonzalez, um, you know, between Janasia Moore and, and Banya, who, who saw some time this weekend, you know, they're, they're taking big swings on the outside. And I'm, I'm really going to name every player just, so you know, and That's Erica okay. Davis in the middle, um, you know, freshman for us, made all conference freshman team. You know, she's filled a big role for us that, that we weren't sure about coming in the season. And then our, our super senior, we call her grandma. Hannah Grunsfelder, um, you know, she just, she locks down the backcourt for us. So it's an exciting team. And, and yeah, we're just really, really excited to, to get going on Thursday. Man, coach, you, and you've got a roster that goes from Utica, Ohio. Well, you know, <laughs> or Sunbury and Utica <laughs> to Serbia. I mean, what, I mean, is that, is that the reach of this program? I mean, you know, you obviously you were named the coach in uh, what, January, 2020 mm -hmm. inherited, you know, many, many of these players and stuff, but uh, is that amazing to you? The, uh, the global feel maybe of that locker room. Yeah. It, it, I think it's pretty special. Um, you know, I, I think we're really fortunate to be in a state and region that, that has high level volleyball. Um, when I played here back, let's put a year on it, but when I played back in the day, you know, Ohio wasn't as strong and, and now to have a roster with a, a bunch of Ohio kids, um, yeah. you know, I, I think that speaks volumes for, for where we are in our region, but then the reach does go far. You know, the, the recruiting's gonna go across the nation instead of just in a certain area anymore. Um, you know, people know Ohio State, that, that's, I, I feel fortunate that, you know, we have that brand, but now it's more, now I wanna be a part of that program because they're, they're building spe something special there. And, and the players right now have done that. Yeah, I was gonna say, thanks to the Big Ten Network and other, other places, people can watch you play. I mean, you know, it's not like, it's not like the, the good old days. I'm not sure the good old days were the good old days, but for example, <laughs> Erica Davis is somebody who really caught my eye. Just the energy was it, was that a big time recruiting battle for Ohio state to get a player of that caliber out of like North Carolina or how, how, you know, is, is that an, is she an example of the reach? I think she's an example of the reach. Um, you know, I, I wasn't involved in her process. I, I'm fortunate. Like you said, I, I inherited her. We yeah. didn't lose her when I got that job. Um, but, you know, I think with her, she was one of those players that that started a little bit later than others. And so um, I, I think the former staff did a great job and took advantage of that and, and got her excited about Ohio State. And I, I think that was a cool part as I transitioned into the job was that 
a lot of these players, you know, we we're talking about Londot, Raider, that class, the class after with Erica Davis um, and, and her classmates, they had the opportunity to go elsewhere. If they wanted with a, with yeah. a coaching change and they all stayed. And I, I think that just shows the draw of Ohio state, what it means to be a Buckeye and how much they wanted to be involved in this program. So I think it's pretty cool. Were you aiming to get back in? Were you aiming to get into college coaching? Obviously you're running what that, uh, uh, what do you, not a club team. What do you call yep. it in, in yep, Pittsburgh? But yep. yeah. But were you aiming to get back into college somehow, some way? What was, what, what got you here? I guess. I wanted to come back home and I wanted to make sure that the program program was in good hands, you know, and, and I, as much as the, the former staff did a great job recruiting, you know, unfortunately it comes down to wins and losses. And, and so when the job opened up, you know, I put my name in the hat and I was relentless in, in pursuing it and, and had people reaching out, but um, I was not, I'll be quite honest. And I've told people this and it may scare recruits off or whatever, but um, I was not looking to get back into the game. Um, I was, I was content being home in Pittsburgh. That's where I'm from. My family's still there. Um, we had a good thing going at, at Pittsburgh elite, but yeah. yeah, I just, I, I wanted, I wanted something great for this program. And I'm not saying I'm not that person, but I do feel like with my, my background and, and just being a buck on myself that I, I felt like I could put this, this program back on the map. What did you, this isn't knocking anybody else because there's been success here before, you know, but what did you, what do you think you personally brought to the, to the program, what you, you know, that you can see right now an imprint that you've put on it? Uh, part of it is just the, the, I don't know, volleyball IQ in terms of how to play at a high level. I mean, I, I was fortunate that my career led that path, led me down that path where I could play at a high level and, and be coached by really great coaches. Yeah. So I think that the combination of just volleyball skill and, and the level we need to play at, and then those expectations that come along with it and, and just the pride, you know, the, the, I don't know, every day I'm like, I'm really proud to be a Buckeye. And I think that's, that translates well into our student athletes because they know I did it and I did it in their shoes in the Scarlet and the Gray on this campus, not in Cavelli, but you know, we, but I did it. And so yeah. I think that's, that's what just fuels them is like, okay, she, she gets it. She's, yeah. she's done this. She understands. And so I think that that connection and that just fire really has, has refueled our program. Yeah. You tell them you did it in the barn, right? St. John Arena. I mean, that's, that's pretty funny, man. Uh, I did want you know, to me, this is interesting though, because like you said, when you played here, women's volleyball has just grown by leaps and bounds. I mean, because there are, there are girls now who play it, you know, as a, as their major sport, right? I mean, I mean, it's like yeah. with women's basketball when it first started, it seemed like a collection of athletes, but now there are, are, are girls and women who have dedicated themselves to uh, just like, you know, guys used to, you know, guys used to do uh, with football and ba basketball, et cetera. But have you noticed that just the elevation of the people you're recruiting now compared to like maybe young oh. girls like 10 or 12 years ago? Oh, it's, it's a huge difference. And then take it back to when I played. I mean, I, I am tiny, like I am so short and, and I wasn't big when I played. And now it's like, I don't even know if I'd play in the front row. You know, it's yeah. just, it's very different. And, and even the, the type of physical athlete are playing right now is different than when I was coaching at Illinois 10 years ago. So, you know, I think it's evolved, um, you know, our participant participation numbers in, in the youth generation, like it's just exploded. And so yeah. it, it's highest participating, you know, female sports, I think that's exciting for the growth of our game. Um, but yeah, the, the athletes are coming our way. I, I think they don't, they don't like the physical nature of basketball. 
which is unfortunate in ways, but good for us. You know, we're, we're starting to get those kids that, that want to play volleyball, you know, at a high level. So we'll take advantage of it. We'll take those athletes. Well, what's interesting to me about volleyball in particular, I, I told you just before we started, I thought women's volleyball and women's softball uh, are the two sports that can just really separate themselves in my mind of I, if I see it on television, I'll watch it, you know, and because uh, they both have an energy to them. But especially women's volleyball, I can understand the attraction for for women. You know, my wife was a was a track athlete at Ohio State, high jumper way back in the late 70s. But, you know, they either want to be participating or doing something else. You know, they don't necessarily want to be riding the pine, you know, as well. <laughs> as a, but 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 everybody on the volleyball court is involved on every play. You know what I mean? I mean, and you roll rotate uh, uh, women through there and stuff. But is am I right about the high energy aspect of it? Do you think has made it more attractive? Absolutely. And it's, it's you may not understand the rules, but it attracts your yeah. eye. You know, if you have somebody that, that comes to a match, I've heard this a lot. Hey, I'm going to come check out your match. Oh, awesome. You're going to come back to more. And they're like, well, why do you say that? I'm like, we'll just talk after the match. And then they they come and they watch and then they're like, wow, that's, that's really exciting. Like, and, and it has, you know, everything you need. It has a physical nature. It has, you know, the team aspect. It has a little bit of finesse. You know, I, I feel like yeah. it just, it suits a lot of different people. And um, even, you know, male and female, like it, it's exciting to watch. It doesn't matter, you know, what gender you are, you're, you're want to watch volleyball. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Hey, uh, last couple of things. Um, when, when did you know this team was special? Did you know it right out of the gate? I mean, because this does like, no matter what they do from this point on, I mean, this is a team that's, that has achieved. Uh, did you know it right out of the gate that you had the chemistry there or did, did you see it develop as the year went on, the season went on? Yeah, I would say that um, I'd even take it further to, to last fall. That's when I knew that, that we were building something special. Um, you know, I was hired in January 2020, like you mentioned, and then the pandemic hits and there's a shutdown and we can't play any volleyball at all. And so yeah. we're, we're all separated. We're, we're meeting by zoom and all we have is, is really each other. And, and how do we build those connections with a new staff and, and trying to, I'm trying to figure out the dynamic of the team on 20 different screens. Like it was, it was really strange, but we also, we also scouted all the opponents of the big 10 during that time. And that's how we started talking volleyball and, and gaining that knowledge and, I think when we came back in August and started playing, you know, like they're like, Oh, Oh, this makes sense now. And so it was like started to click. And then we, we shut down again because, you know, we, we weren't playing until the spring. So we, we went back to individual type of practices. And then when we came back again and had a, our first team practice where we could play six on six across the net, and it was a really high level. I mean, for the first practice where we were able to do that since March of 2020, and now we're in November of, of 2020 and, and we're playing at a high level. I think that's, that's the like aha moment that I will remember. Um, not that I was surprised by it, but the players, they were looking around going, we're, we're playing high level volleyball. And I was like, yeah, like this is, this is what is called trusting the process. And it was just like mind blowing for them. And so, you know, I think that translated well into the spring season. And, and then I think specifically for, for our team, it was the Washington match early in the season, second match of the year at Nationwide Arena when we came out to play. And I think, you know, it was surprising in some ways just that early, like how well things were clicking, especially with a, a freshman middle and then Mia Grunzi, uh, who, who didn't spend a lot of time on the court for us last year at all. Uh, she's on the left for us. You know, I, I think that's, that was the start of it. And then it was just each week we built and built and built. And we, we had some, some setbacks, like you had mentioned, those losses. 
but then it was like, okay, how do we regroup and refocus and, and get going? And they've done a great job of that. So yeah, I, I, I kind of knew they would be special, but it's, it's, it's fun to see it translate and, and then translate into wins and success. Uh, didn't want to leave this out, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, uh, Ohio state is the host school for the final four this year that, you know, Coach Oldenburg is trying to move her troops through Louisville this week so she can come back home and, and play in what nationwide arena for the Final Four. That's got to be exciting to know your city is hosting the Final Four. And obviously you want to be a, a major part of that, correct? Yeah, I mean, that would that's the ultimate goal. Um, there's there's a couple of tough teams ahead of us. So so yeah. we we gotta go day by day. I mean, that's that's been the mantra, you know, from the beginning. Uh, beginning of the season, even going through the Big Ten season, can we take this match by match? And, and that's the the focus we have going on this week. Of course, we we know what's happening next weekend. Like, and we would love to be a part of that, as all sixteen teams are right now that are getting ready for the Thursday matches. Um, but but right now, our focus is on Georgia Tech and and how we're gonna you know game plan in, in order to to take them down on Thursday. Yeah, I was gonna say though, but the Cavelli Center, a few game, several games in there this year with with the packed crowd, and then knowing your your city is hosting the final four. That just tells you there, there is an upswell you know, <laughs> at least yeah. locally for what yeah. you and your, uh, your players are doing. Right. I mean, I mean, you're, in other words, you're not just uh, playing in a vacuum, so to speak. No, no, we, I mean, there's, there's a ton of clubs here in town in yeah. this region um, and, and they're good and they're excited by volleyball and, and to see the younger generations at our matches, just, you know, excited for Buckeye volleyball. I, I think that's, that's pretty special. All right. Last thing. You know, you touched on it earlier, talking about the physical play, you know, that, that y'all y'all play with. And, and then the Big Ten shows, you know, vo- volleyball players aren't allowed to run into each other or uh, or tackle each other. But this line of scrimmage, which is that net, is can be very intense at times and stuff. And like you just – you touched on, to take it to that next level, you've got to have people who are aggressive, who are getting after it, not afraid to get a ball in the face, right? You know what yeah. I mean? I mean yeah. – uh, uh, that's what I'm talking about, about this sport and, and, and the way it is really, I think, elevated in the last 10 or 15 years. But it is quite a physical game when you're down low watching it, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, the the speed of the ball, you know, people diving all over the floor, just the the, the big time blocks that you see. But yeah. then when that happens, we get that stuff like our kids are shoving each other like like they there is a physical content like a uh, component of the game. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fun, I think, fan friendly environment. So anytime you, you get a chance to watch volleyball at a high level, higher than even you're used to playing, go do it because it's something special. Yeah. Coach Oldenburg, I really appreciate you joining the Tim May podcast. This was special and, uh, you know, good luck this weekend and the next weekend in the final four, you know, I'm going to get that little shout out in there. <laughs> yeah, we'll see one, one, one match at a time here, Tim, but thank you for your time. I appreciate being on here. Now you're sounding like Ryan Day. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I know how it, it's it's one serve at a time, actually, or one yeah, return one at contact. a time. We, see, we do say that one. Contact yeah, like your libero time. was talking about the aggressive nature you guys are playing with. I mean, it's you know, you, you got to feel good about the energy going into this weekend, though, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we'll be ready. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I really enjoyed that conversation, and uh, awesome as you pointed out. You know, you covered women's volleyball at one point, at the University of Wyoming. And it's amazing, even, you know, you're getting on up there in years a little bit, aren't you? You're not, you're not in the 40s yet, but you're you're getting on up there. But it's amazing this the leaps, pardon the, pardon the pun, 
that volleyball, women's volleyball has made just over the last 15, 20 years. Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, spent a good amount of time at Tennessee covering some of those women's volleyball teams yeah. that uh, are very talented and very competitive with the SEC teams. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times they were measuring themselves against Big Ten programs and, uh, you know, hoping to get over the hump and win national titles down there that are pretty, you know, more regularly associated with the Big Ten or the Pac-12 um, historically. Uh, you know, when Tennessee was able to make a Final Four run, I remember the excitement of there. Like, you know, I, they don't, they're never going to draw massive, massive crowds, but the two, three, five, sometimes seven, 8,000 people that would be there really into it because it's, it, it is exciting to watch. And yeah. these, these women are incredibly athletic. Uh, uh, as you said, you know, just from when I started watching it to, or when you started watching it to the things that they can do now, it's, it's the real deal. I mean, yeah. it, it's, they are doing some impressive stuff out there. I think the crowds that they packed into the Cavelli Center uh, uh, this year for the women's volleyball team, I mean, that is a perfect setting. I don't know if you agree. I, I just think that was a long overdue venue for Ohio State athletics, you know. And uh, uh, as, I, as I said to the coach, Coach Oldenburg, I said when she played here, she played in the barn, you know, otherwise known as St. John Arena. <laughs> and uh, now they've got this really uh, nice arena, obviously – you know, uh, the men, men, men's wrestling uses it, et cetera. But that has really done a lot for, for those sports, hasn't it? Yeah, that place is really great. I yeah. mean, it, it's, a, it's a perfect venue to see. Like I said, those crowds are, are never going to compete with the horseshoe, obviously. Um, but for, you know, there's going to be a line of people for some of those big-time events, whether in wrestling and, and volleyball. The, the diehard fans for that fan base have a perfect place to go watch, and it – when it's full, I mean, it's it's yeah. rocking. Yeah. When there's 2,000 people in a 4,100-seat arena, they make a lot of noise. When there's 4,100 in a 4,100-seat <laughs> arena, you know, you got yourself going. You got what's known as a band box, right? right. <laughs> hey, speaking of band boxes, I, get, I keep getting this distinct feeling that uh, the Rose Bowl could be a band box for Utah, the way Utah fans, I remember I tweeted out the link, you know, for Ohio State people to be able to at least get in line to buy tickets. And, uh, boy, I was stunned by how many Utah people retweeted my tweet. So <laughs> showing their fans how they can get tickets. If, yeah. in fact, the Utah allotment is, is, is soaked up by these fans are going to the Rose Bowl for the first time. It could really be an interesting crowd situation out there uh, for Ohio State, couldn't it? Yeah, and, you know, that's, again, part of it. I can understand why you know, fan fatigue and, and this one doesn't matter. There's so many Ohio state fans. We know that, that wait and save and are so excited, you know, to go to these postseason destinations. Well, I mean, it's pretty expensive to get to LA right now. Yes. Uh, and, and there are a lot of trappings for the Rose bowl that make it not the best experience for fans. Um, you know, you've, you've joked about this with me in the past and how, uh, relatively little I enjoy the rest of what goes on with the Rose Bowl but I know many other people that you know friends family uh, acquaintances that have been out there and just the headaches that come along with getting to it so I would understand why if that's the choice and it's really expensive and it's not easy just to make it to you know the sunset there and San Gabriel Mountains and that appeal like sitting it out but Utah has not dealt with that like they don't know if it's if the traffic is difficult or if you can actually get to the parade and go see the game and 
and all those other things. Like they're excited for it. They they've worked to make it to get that recognition as a Pac-12 champion and be taken seriously and not just some token addition from the Mountain West. And um, they're going to – that's going to be a party for them. And I think that will be tough for Ohio State to match. That's the challenge that we talked about. Can you find that fuel to handle this and approach the game the same way? Because I don't think that they can get to the level that Utah will be at for that, that level of excitement. Yeah, we're talking intensity, ladies and gentlemen. And plus, what's Utah got else got going for it? It beat a team that Ohio State couldn't beat this year. It beat Oregon. And not only that, it beat it beat twice. Oregon twice <laughs> and really beat the hell out of them the second time. I mean, those Utes. Do you, what? Did you say Utes? Yeah, what's I said a, Utes. Huh? What's a Ute? Yeah, what's a Ute? What's a Ute? Uh, I think uh, people are going to find out. But uh, speaking of that, you think Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson will find out what a Ute is? What, what's your what's your take? I I tend to think that Chris Olave will play in this game. That uh, with his legacy, not wanting to leave on a loss, his competitiveness, the fact that the game is pretty close to his backyard, and and I assume tons of his family being able to go see that game, uh, his last one in Ohio State uniform. I I think that'll probably be too much for him to walk away from um, Garrett Wilson. I think he, we can all agree is the most likely uh, or, or be the starting point where you say, this guy has nothing else to prove. Um, he's going to most likely be, the, I think the first wide receiver drafted next year, um, next spring. May, maybe he doesn't need that, uh, that send off in the Rose bowl. Uh, I, I don't know that there are a lot of other obvious candidates for that, but, I also understand where things are going and, and uh, it's far more common and accepted for these guys to protect themselves ahead of the draft. So yeah. there may, may well be company. I, we don't know for sure if Garrett Wilson will or will not. Yeah. Uh, he's committed to that one way or the other at this point. Uh, none of the Buckeyes have, but. Uh, it, well, it wait a minute. Let me, the only reason I threw those two names up there is because they're, you know, it's on everybody's lips, you know, locally that, uh, you know, you know, because everybody, like they, they get caught up in the doom and gloom of the aftermath of the loss at Michigan and who cares now, you know, well, you know, these guys may care more than you think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why I'm saying, I, you know, Garrett Wilson has come a long, long way as a, a mature, uh, mature teammate, you know, leader uh, along with the lobby in that wide receiver room. And he's got a chance to add to some pretty impressive. Yes. Statistics. I think the other part of this that, you know, if you make a play in the Rose Bowl, and even if we're saying that uh, there's not true stakes attached to it, I've, I've said this in other places, and I said this on Sunday when we talked uh, on Rapid Reaction, given what we know about the audience for these college football playoff games on New Year's Eve, uh, I, I think Ohio State, with their draw, we know that the fans are still going to watch, even if they don't aren't worried about, you know, maybe the outcome or the stakes or any of that other stuff, you know, they're going to watch um, the traditional time slot is still there. Um, everyone's still going to be watching college football on new year's day. They always do. So, you know, this could be the most watched bowl game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you make a big play there the next day, who knows what, what offer pops into your inbox for name, image and likeness. I mean, 
Yes. You, you could have a, a million dollar day just because you make a, a big catch or game winning play in the Rose Bowl. Or, hey, maybe, maybe whoever the current sponsor, Capital One or whoever, uh, maybe they just hand out a check to the player of the game. Maybe they should do that. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, there's going to be opportunity there like that. Now, again, the calculus is if you're Garrett Wilson, is that one day worth it compared to your career? Hey, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Let me ask you real quick before we get the hypotheticals. I don't want to get into this. I want to have this conversation next week or the week after about what I see coming for college football, and I don't like all, most of it. You know what I mean? I just eventually somebody's going to run out of money. You know, that's all. That's all I'm saying. The tap is going to get cut off, and maybe yeah. cut off when apathy really sets in. But when you have a player playing for this team one year and playing for this other team the next, you know, and uh, and uh, just when you've really invested personally into like really wanting this guy and all of a sudden he's playing against your team and stuff that, that, that could bring some problems for college football. I really truly believe, but, uh, uh, but you know, the Rose bowl and, uh, and uh, ABC ESPN are broadcasting it. They're going to be promoting the Rose bowl, you know, just like they promoted the big 10 championship game, just like they promoted the game. Should the players whose uh, name, image, and likeness, whatever, shows up in their commercial, should they get a cut? Should they get a little fee? What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, like, if what you're saying, and you you alluded to it with the cutting the tap off, if if Mel Tucker is going to make ninety six million dollars uh, after one good season. Uh, the guys who helped him create that probably deserve a lot more money alongside that. Uh, it's crazy how all this is working. Just, we'll set, we'll save the conversation for another podcast. But, yes. You know, coaches have somehow actually emerged from all these changes with more leverage than before. Crazy. And that is wild. When you're like Lincoln Riley, all right, well, I'm going to take this player, this player, this player, this player, they're coming with me. And also the recruiting class, they're probably all going to decommit and they're probably going to go to USC. Now you have to pay them these exorbitant amounts of money. And that that is not going to last, especially now in the bowl system, which I felt has been antiquated for a long time. Not It's not just a sudden realization uh, that a lot of these other games don't matter that much for most of the big-time programs. But if you're going to stage an exhibition, like you don't generally ask for volunteers to come perform it. So – you know, I, I know that I'm opening up a whole another can of worms to dig into, but yeah, you know, keep the keep the keep the list sort of on it. But give us a preview. Go ahead. Well, the reason the reason that these games exist is because of the sponsors paying the money to stage the exhibition games. Correct. So you know, and I know that they already were getting something. There was already a recognition about that when you say, "Oh, here's the five hundred dollars or whatever your PlayStation get to go to the gift suite." They were already giving them you know, something that was outside of the normal bounds of, of college football amateurism, quote unquote. But, you know, if you want 20 million people to watch the Rose Bowl because you were able to land Ohio State and Utah for that game and then you sell off the rights to 10 different sponsors, $500 probably doesn't cut it for what they might be risking to do it. So let's just think about that part of it, especially if you want to keep an incentive for players not to opt out. A trip to the gift suite, man. A trip to the gift suite. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, like, and that why also why I thought, you know, three guys might not go into the transfer portal the very first week of the offseason because now you don't get to go to the gift suite. Exactly. 
you know, and by the way, is there more aptly named uh, bowl? I think it is still called the TaxSlayer.com bowl, the Gator Bowl. Yeah. I mean, hopefully the players get free software so they can now do their taxes based on That's their right. NIL income. <laughs> you know, I mean, that would be they they should be taking advantage of that. But I'm I'm not sure. I think we're really in in for an interesting era in college football. I'm gonna leave it at that. We'll talk about that some other time. Awesome. Hey, one last thing. What what is one quick before we go? Do you expect Ryan Day to make any staff changes between now and the Rose Bowl? He was very coy. Coy may not be the right word. Very tight-lipped about things the other day when we got to talk to him. You know there's got to be some things in the works. Uh, there, there's a lot of machinations going on around the country, guys grabbing coordinators, guys grabbing assistant coaches. Uh, Brent Venable is going – you know, defensive coordinator for a long time at Clemson, going to back to Oklahoma to be his head coach, and you know who's he taking with him, et cetera. Do, 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 do you get the feeling Ryan Day's got to be making moves sooner rather than later, or should he wait till the dust settles? I think unless his hand is forced, that a candidate he knows that he wants or has maybe even talked to already, unless he has to do that immediately, I don't think that he has the desire to do that. Uh, until after signing day, yeah, um, that's when a lot of dust settles. And, and really, um, as people have asked me that a number of times, uh, you know, especially on uh, the message boards at Letterman Row as part of the On Three Network, um, you know, well, what's what's taking so long? Why wouldn't you want to do this right away? Part of the fact, part of this is that I know there are dominoes falling with the head coaches moving, but by and large most of these assistants are under contract. Uh, they are trying to finish off their jobs, whether that's a bowl game, whether that's a recruiting class uh, for the, for their current bosses. Not a lot of them are in position to leave at the drop of the hat, just because Ohio state season ended or just because Penn state's regular season ended or, or whoever else. So, right. you know, you know, and a lot of them can't move because of their contract until you know, some of those buyouts and payouts and all that stuff is handled. So I, I, unless something transpires that somebody jumps in there with a huge offer and they don't want to wait till signing day, I don't think Ryan day will respond until after that. And then we'll see what happens. But, you know, you asked the first part uh, and he didn't answer it directly on Sunday. Will there be changes? Yeah. There's going to be an outside hire for defensive coordinator that that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. As I, as I said to Mike Yurchis sometimes, sometimes you need new pollen on the flower, right? <laughs> of course, I didn't ask him exactly that same way. That's, right. That's still one of my favorite questions ever that I asked that I wished I had. I don't know if I wished I had it back or not because we all had a good laugh about it. But anyway. I what a coincidence that you're bringing up an Oklahoma State coach as a candidate for Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. It's a crazy world we live in, ladies and gentlemen. Awesome Ward. Excuse me. Austin Ward. Thanks for joining me again, the cockpit of the Tim May podcast. And uh, the great thing about what's going on is there's a reason for a podcast almost every week now. When it comes to college football, something stupid, queer, weird is happening. Tens of millions of dollars are being thrown thrown out, you know, uh, uh, not thrown out, thrown at people to make changes, et cetera. And uh, I don't know, we're going to come back in one of these next podcasts and talk about that. Are you game for that? Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Until next week, at this time, this is Tim May for Austin Ward. We'll see you then. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.